Hello, and welcome to Fortune's Wheelhouse, a podcast about esoterics and the tarot. I'm Susie Chang, and my co-host is Mel Moline. We're going on a journey through the symbolic imagery of each of the 78 tarot cards. If you use a Rider-Waite-Smith deck, or a Thoth deck, or Mel's own Tabula Mundi deck, you've come to the right place. We love making this podcast, and we hope you love listening to it. But you should also know that Fortune's Wheelhouse is more than the sound of our voices. We have a home on the web at www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse, and we'd love for you to come and visit us. There you can experience the other part of this conversation, where we provide written articles and explanations for even the most obscure concepts you'll hear on the show. And if you sign up to be our patron at even the $1 level, all of that will be at your fingertips. And if you become a patron at the $3 level or higher, you'll get a chance to win our giveaways, like Nikki, who won last week's giveaway. Congratulations, Nikki. This time, we're talking about the Lord of Love, the Two of Cups. The corresponding Deccan is the first Deccan of Cancer, zero to nine degrees of Cancer, that is. And that Deccan is ruled by Venus, the goddess of love herself. One of the other things ruled by Venus happens to be perfume. So, for this week's giveaway, I'm delighted to offer our winner my perfume for Cancers and those they love. It's called The Moon Dream. And it's a silvery vanilla confection with lush fruit notes. Think berry-filled pastries, filigreed spoons, fresh cream, heavy linens. It's a decadent fantasy, and it could be yours. You can find out more and sign up for the drawing at our site, www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse. You may notice some odd noises in the background of the two, three, and four of cups episodes. We taped these episodes at my house, which has creaky chairs and some people who uh, tread heavily at times. You may even hear my 11-year-old whisking custard for her dessert. <laughs> I did my best with it. But even though I spend three hours editing for every one hour we record, there's only so much magic I can do. Consider it part of that quirky Fortune's Wheelhouse charm, which you love and support with your downloads, your patronage, and your iTunes reviews. Thanks for that. And there is now a Facebook group where Fortune's Wheelhouse listeners can get together and nerd out to their heart's content. It's called Fortune's Wheelhouse Academy. It's moderated by Darren Griffin and fellow astral superheroes Naya and Maria. It is a quote-unquote unofficial Facebook group, but I do hang out there and occasionally post. Not Mel, though. She's too smart to be on Facebook. Anyway, if you're sick of trying to talk to your family about esoteric tarot, or if they're sick of you talking about esoteric tarot, and believe me, I know what that's like, it's a good place to find your tribe and hang out. And now, here's this week's episode. At the beginning of love, well, how long does that last? You think that you're in love? That the love moves so fast They tell you you're so blind But then so is mankind Bowing to the sunshine At the beginning of time uh, Welcome to the Two of Cups. We're back in the Decanic Miners and entering the sign of 
Cancer with the Lord of Love and um, how appropriate that is. It was Crowley who said you could also call it the Lord of Love under Will, right? Yeah, I think he's referring to the Kabbalistic aspect of it being Hokmah associated with the Will and then, you know, Cups suit as love. Yeah, he talks about the, the Sephira Chokmah, or wisdom, being related to the word and the will, which he kind of equates, I think. It's hard to see how any way that you couldn't get the Lord of Love out of this combination. I mean, you have Cancer, you have Venus, and you have Chokmah, which is the Sephira where the one is divided into two. Right. Or it's, it's, it's two is really one, but it's that otherness, that division, that seeking the other. Um, all exactly. that, it's hard to see how you could come up with anything other than love. Right. It's where the, um, the gaze arises where the other is first perceived. Right. He also makes a point about how we have the presence of Venus. We have the presence of the moon because of cancer. And he also mentions Jupiter being exalted in cancer. So with the three sort of major benefics, if you want to call the moon a benefic, he calls them the traditionally the three most favorable planets. And it's also the first manifestation of the element. So as a two, mm -hmm. it's the first place, you know, the ace doesn't really count because that's the the preliminaries stage setting for the element to appear. And the two is where it appears. And the cup suit as a whole is associated with love. Right. And it's a cardinal sign. So it's the first in the zodiacal year. It's the first appearance of a water. Of water. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One thing that I've been kind of thinking about lately. So we talk a lot in the decanic minors about how each is associated with its two related majors for the sign and the planet ruling the Deccan. But one thing that also occurred to me is this concept of whether the whole entire suit of each element is associated with the major of that element. So in other words, is the entire suit of cups have something to do with the hanged man and the idea of Longing and sacrifice. Yeah, I like that. And does the entire suit of wands have something to do with the concepts in inherent in the aeon or, or judgment? judgment. Yeah. Uh, does the entire suit of the uh, swords have something to do with reason and the fool? Does the entire suit of discs have something to do with that uh, evolution, you know, that's present as that unfolding in the universe card? Oh, I like that a lot. I can totally see how uh, the suit of cups might have something to do with, with the concept of sacrifice in the hanged man. Yeah, and there's yeah. sort of a, a longing factor in mm -hmm. the hanged man that 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 devotional wisdom, seeking wisdom, and willing to sacrifice for something. Yeah, like that. And I can yeah. just kind of see that throughout the entire suit if you look for it. You definitely can. There is that. Um, recognition of the connectedness of all things, I think, in The Hanged Man. Um, I'm thinking of, you know, my favorite pop culture connection to that, which is Luke Skywalker hanging in the ice cave and reaching for the lightsaber and recognizing that he has the force within him. So he's able to cut himself down by attracting the lightsaber to him. And 
I think that there's something about the suit of cups in particular, and also in the world of Bria, in the world of creation, where we make the connection between the archetype, the idea, and the birth of the thing itself. That's And the other thing, speaking of the birth of the thing of self, the other thing I was thinking about, and we talked about this when we did the two, three, and four of wands as it being kind of a progression from conception through incubation. And this is even in this particular run of two, three, and four of cups, it's even more I think all twos, threes, and fours have that sort of progression. But this particular suit, it's the most obvious, probably because it's associated with the maternal sign cancer and the suit of water and the theme of love. So the progression, how do you articulate that again? Well, the twos would probably be the either, you know, the honeymoon phase, the preconception, then we have the conception phase in the three, and then the uh, incubation phase of the four, or maybe even the birth phase in the four, because it's the first manifestation below mm-hmm. the abyss, mm-hmm. below the supernals. Right. So, um, so Venus as a sort of archetype of attraction, and then Mercury as one of fertilization and, you know, quickening. Yep. And, uh, and then the moon as the kind of gestation. Yeah. 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 I like that. That makes a lot of sense. And you see, you really see it in this sequence of two, three, four, more than the two, three, four of any other suit, although you can pick it out of all two, three, and fours. Yes. Yes. You definitely can. And I think it's interesting to think about two, three, four sequences, but it's also interesting to think about the planetary sequences. So, you know, is it a pattern that you might see repeated any time that you have Venus, Mercury, Moon? For example, like the uh, nine of disks, ten of disks, two of swords, or something like that. I was just thinking about this with a different sequence uh, recently. But we talked about the two of cups as representing the first decan of Cancer, zero to nine degrees, ruled by Venus in the most receptive of signs. So there's a really feminine quality to this card. And in 36 Faces, Austin uh, refers to it as a mother and child. So I can totally see that um, Mm -hmm. mother and child theme. First of all, love. I mean, the, the ultimate love is that of a mother for its child. But there's also the the sign of Cancer is also the sign of the mother as well. And Venus is the the goddess, and all goddesses are mother goddesses mm-hmm. in one aspect. Mm-hmm. I think what we're seeing, yeah, and I think with the Empress, there's always different the different parts of her nature as a sexual, romantic, consort kind of goddess, and as a maternal, nurturing kind of goddess, and that that's something that that you never know which one you're getting with the Empress, but they're always both there. And I think that... Either way, there's an element of creativity. For sure. Which direction you take it in. I mean, I guess when you look at the Two of Cups, most people tend to think of romantic love, but it makes a lot of sense that there's also this this sense of nurturing and maternal love because that's intimately tied that connection that um and that's where the romantic love 
goes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ideally, it yeah. takes a period of romantic love before. Ideally. <laughs> In the very best case scenario. <laughs> the honeymoon phase. Yes, it's interesting also to consider that the two majors associated with it, the Empress and the Chariot, both connect to Bina. So the Empress goes Chokma to Bina, right? And then the Chariot Bina to Gevura. So there's a real emphasis in this card, and I believe in the next card as well, on that power of the mother. Yeah, they both lead either to or from Bina. And there's the whole idea of the Empress being the gate, the gate of heaven, the gate to the supernals, whether something's coming down or going up, the womb symbolism as a door or a gate. Right. And of course, the Empress herself being associated with Dalit, the door, and the chariot being associated with Ket, the enclosure, enclosure or fence. Or fence and right? So yeah. they both have, we're going to, I think, see a lot of womb symbolism because a lot of these cards in this sequence have, well, they all have something to do with that enclosure of the fence, cancer, mm -hmm. the chariot. But in this particular case, then we have the door, the gate, the entrance to that enclosure. Yeah. That's interesting to think about the way the chariot had inflects through these three cards. I hadn't really thought about it that way, but you, as you say, you have the door. So, yeah, so in this one, we'd have the door. The next one, we'd have the house, the house which is also right. a form of enclosure. Right, And Mercury then in the bed. one mm -hmm. after that, where we have the priestess. We have the, the camel. <laughs> yeah, which is another kind of container, if in a sense. And the moon is also that fluctuating force that might be the, you know, the contractions. Well, yes. And also the camel is like the same idea of the, the, the liquid enclosed in the carrying hump, right? water. But yeah. now you can take it and move on. You know, it's, it's portable. It's so you kind of have this motion, you know, from the door to the house to picking up the house and going with yeah. your house on your back. Yep. Yeah. That's cool. So that was, in case we didn't unpack that enough, that was the uh, Hebrew letter associations for the Empress, D uh, Dalet, or Dor. And then the next one, the Three of Cups, is going to be Bet, House, uh, for the Magician, or Mercury. And then the one after that is going to be Gimel, or Camel, for the High Priestess, for the Moon. That's really cool. Yeah, and I often think about the symbolism of the chariot as being like that, as being really crab-like. So it is the house that you take with you, you know, yeah. inside your shell. Yeah, the protective, the protective shell. Right, right. And there is a sense of nurturing in all three of these cards of cancer. Mm -hmm. Going back to when you said, you mentioned Crowley calling this will to love. I think another kind of reasoning towards that. So Hokma as being the, the zodiac or the, the first, the first force. It's the first impulse. When you think of the first force, it's the first impulse. So it's the first impulse of the cup's suit, the first manifestation of it. And the cup suit ultimately is summed up in one word, love. So it's the impulse to love or the will to love. I'm trying to figure out how that plays out Kabbalistically as Hokma in the world of Briah. 
Chakma being the equivalent of will, as you're saying, and then uh, Bria being this uh, world of creation and connection. Another interesting thing about this particular Deccan is we're talking June 21st, so summer solstice, to July 1st, or at least in the Northern Hemisphere. This particular solstice is traditionally considered the marriage of the Lord and the Lady, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So you can see that imagery played out in the Two of Cups itself. Yep. Right. It's uh, the moment where the sun is at its height, theoretically, or at its fall, I guess, in the Southern Hemisphere. And there is a sort of not a balance, as in the equinox, of the of the feminine and the masculine, but like a transfer of power between the two. Right. Instead, it's almost instead of a, a balance, it's more of a polarity. Right. And you clearly see a polarity in this particular decade. Right. The whole the whole Cancer um, Trinity. It's a very fertile time of year, at least here in the northern hemisphere. For us, it is. Yeah, it's. Um, I always think of that 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 mid June, late June period as like the one moment where the garden's perfect, and then it all before goes. the weeds take over, right? Yeah. And before the insects come, and you don't want to be in the garden anymore. It's like there's one week that's great. <laughs> it's one of my favorite times of year. Yeah, it really is. My daughter's birthday is in this period. So some of the for the Deccan from the Picatrix and Agrippa are, as usual, pretty weird. Um, we have a man whose fingers and head are distorted and slanted, and his body is similar to a horse's body. His feet are white, and he has fig leaves on his body. And then in Ag Agrippa has a young virgin adorned with fine clothes and having a crown on her head, which makes a little bit more sense. Yeah. You know, it's more Venusian. There's yep. more of that sense of ceremony and pleasure. But there's something about the other one uh, with the fig leaves on his body, right? You know, there's a sense of... Is it biblical? Is it biblical? Eden covering the nakedness because the other can see your nakedness. Right, because now you can be perceived. And the the significations, we have instruction, knowledge, love, subtlety, and mastery. And then from Agrippa... Oh, love is in there. Yeah, there we go. So I don't know how they get a love from distorted fingers and a horse's body, but okay. <laughs> Well, it makes me think of crab claws for the distorted no, fingers. Maybe that's um, maybe that's and the it. horse's body. There's a lot of horse symbolism in the chariot. You know, the, the horses of Poseidon. Yes, yes, it's a very I, for some reason horses always associated with the sea and the ocean. Yeah, uh, Agrippa has acuteness of senses, uh, subtlety of wit, and the love of men. So we have something of love in in the significations for both. Um, I also looked up some of the cardomantic meanings. Interestingly enough, this is a card that is just as favorable as you would expect it to be from the tarot card as well. It basically says it's a favorable omen, whether it's in love or in commercial enterprise or in taking part in pleasure. If it comes out, uh, upright, it predicts fortune and the love of riches. I didn't actually look at what happens if it comes upside down because 
I was like, that's good enough for me. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, there's something just generally super positive about this card. And I don't know if this is true. And maybe we'll see this as we're working our way through the, through the minors. But it seems like the two of each suit, you get a very sort of, uh, clear expression of what that sign is about. Like with the two of wands, we did. It's definitely true because it's mm-hmm. the, because it's the first manifestation of the element it's uninfluenced by anything but keter ultimate purity so it's right the purest the suit can pretty much get in every case right so that's why with the two of wands we had this like incredible sense of you know ruthlessness determination domination you know untempered by anything else and here we have pure love unadulterated the good stuff and I suppose we'll be getting something like that with the Two of Swords. Yeah, and we will. The, the peace, the clarity yeah, of mind. Yeah. The, pretty much the best you're going to get with the with the swords. Yeah. And then with change with the Two of Discs. Yeah. Something like that as well. Interesting. One thing that I've always found really fascinating about the Two of Cups. So it goes back to even the older decks before these decks You'll notice that in almost every one going back to, you know, Marseille decks and Pip decks of all kinds, the two has a real S curve in the imagery in every case. And I was thinking about that. So part of it, maybe perhaps the Naples arrangement itself says that the two is the, um, the point distinguished from one other. So it's, you know, where deity discovers an aspect of itself and splits into two or reflects itself. And then there's two. So if you have any two points, then you get a line. If you look in the two of wands, there's all these, it's, they're usually crossed wands. They're usually that saltier symbol of an X. And then in the two of cups, you get this curved line. So it's also still, a, it's still yeah. a line also crossed, entwined. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's still a line, but it's a it's a curve. And so when you think of an S-curve, I think, well, of waves, the waves of water. It's a really feminine, sinuous, serpentine type of energy. And so when you think of those curves, not only do you think of the feminine as opposed to the straight line of the masculine, but you think of mountains and valleys, yes. you know, this polarity of male and female. That's really interesting, the graphic expression of the line. Because in Wands and Swords, you have the cross, no matter what deck, you have those crossed lines in an X formation. And then in Cups, you have the sinuous curved caduceus, and in pentacles, you typically have some kind Another of... Another curve. So the feminine right. suits in the twos all have that S shape. It's either an S shape or an infinity sign, which is the same thing, only a closed loop, basically. Yeah, so yeah. Those, that, those peaks and valleys make me think of fire and water or mountains and valleys mm-hmm. or male and female. This This energy of polarity meeting each other somehow and combining into one curving unit and then you can think of serpent symbolism with wisdom which is one of the names of hokma and 
I don't know. It's yes, just something. I like there's that. something there to to ponder, to reflect on. There is definitely something there. Even in the Marseille decks, you have the curved line in the form of the dolphins at the top. Mm-hmm. Every, the heraldic dolphins. Y- yeah, and they're entwined yeah. with each other in a in an S curve shape. So if you just look mm-hmm. at it graphically, it seems like the two the the masculine twos are straight lines and and usually crossed and the feminine twos are these s curves Mm -hmm. that's really cool and we can see that in these three cards so if we look at the rider weight card the that caduceus between the the two cups is there's that representation of the s curves Mm -hmm. literally in serpent looking fashion Mm -hmm. and then you see the the dolphins or fish in the thoth deck that are curved around each other in that way and then likewise the hippocampi in the tabula mundi make right. that same make right. that same shape right and in a sense that is kind of an analog for a heart shape as yeah. well yeah exactly those yeah. two the two halves of the heart are two curves mm-hmm. neat are we ready to go card by card yeah, we may as well start All right. there. Yeah, let's start with Rider Waite. Um, and here we have, as we were saying before, kind of the, the marriage of the Lord and the Lady. And you have above them, you have the red line of alchemy, the famous it red line. It looks very much like an alchemical illustration. And when I see that lion winged lion again it makes me think of the alchemical marriage the combination of fire and water because you have the lion which is a fiery leo symbol and then the wings the eagle of scorpio water so it's a it's a fire and water combined right right and specifically when you in the alchemical process you're supposed to be starting with Going from Mercury, and uh, that transforms into the so-called green line, the unrefined line, and then you burn off all of the unnecessary portions, and that leaves you with the fiery heart, the red line, which is also known as the um, orum potabile, I think, the drinkable gold, or, or in fact, the philosopher's stone. The red line can be the philosopher's stone. So love, in a sense, is the power that transmutes lead into gold. That was the function of the Philosopher's Stone, to transmute lead into gold. And it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. The other thing interesting about that symbol, and I don't know if it's significant or not, is that's the crest of the Prince of Wands. So is that the child that comes forth from the union? Right. That's a really interesting idea that maybe the lion is an offspring or a Tiferet reference. Yeah, the sun. Right. And then you have in the background, you have a kingdom that could be Malkut, Mm -hmm. you know, something like that. The other thing that strikes me about that image is notice their crowns. She's wearing a laurel crown and he's wearing a flower crown and hers is green and his is red. So when I see green and red, I think of Venus and Mars, Mm -hmm. which is a natural pairing of lovers. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. And then the laurel crown is another leonine victory, you know, the the laurel crown of victory symbol. Right. And there's also uh, sort of a contrast uh, between warm and cool in what they're wearing. 
got the watery sort of blue. Mm-hmm. And uh, what is mm-hmm. on, are those clubs or clovers or can you tell what is on his tunic? They are quatrefoils. They're four, um, four leaf clovers. clovers. Yeah. I'm not sure what that sure represents. Three? They look like three to me. If you look closely on his torso here, at least some of them are. Some of them look like threes with a stem. Yes, could be. Need my magnifying glass. I think you could see it either way. I don't know. It's hard to say. And then the ones on the bottom are sort of hidden in the folds, so it's really hard to tell. But um, another thing that we see is the white sleeves on both of them. And white in general in Rider weight, I think, represents the purity of intention. And I think that that's something that... It's also a Keter reference, which makes me think of Keter splitting into the masculine and feminine Hokman mm-hmm. and Bina as part of that process. Absolutely. And then, of course, we have uh, the Caduceus. You know, it's interesting. We don't necessarily associate this card with mercury but could be the i think the reason that there might be mercury symbolism here is because this is an alchemical marriage and that's the third thing we've got the marriage of sulfur and salt right the feminine and the masculine right combined to make the third thing right so it's as if you have um the salt and the sulfur uh together and then or the mercury arises from it or something like that. Yeah, because yeah. the mercury is arising between where they're conjoined, their hands there are conjoined. Yes, right. And they've got awfully big cups there. <laughs> Looks like you could fit a whole bottle of wine in one of those. <laughs> yeah. It's one of the stage cards. Um, so there's a, that separating line on the bottom. And yeah. Uh, you know, people have gone back and forth on the significance of the stage. Uh, it may not mean anything at all, but I think it's nice to interpretively consider the stage literally a stage, a moment uh, in which people enact roles that make mm-hmm. sense uh, in the context of the card. So these are the roles of the two people meeting and exchanging energy. Exactly. And the colors in the card, besides the red and green of the crowns being Venus and Mars, the blue and yellow would be lunar and solar, a lunar and solar polarity there. So he's wearing more yellow and she's wearing more blue. Right. Though she has the little red shoes on, (laughs) indicating the presence of passion moving her towards her object. Wade said of this card in his usual roundabout fashion that it represents that desire which is not in nature, but by which nature is sanctified. Alrighty um, then. Yeah, that and you sounds know, sounds good. It sounds good. I mean, it, that could be, for example, maybe the desire which is not in nature is romantic love. You know, because that's not something that is thought to be instinctual in the same way, uh, but by which nature is sanctified. So, you know, the urge to procreate is sanctified by this sensation of mutual love and affection. And I, I think that I've, I've found that to be the case often when reading it for other people that it doesn't represent sex necessarily. It doesn't represent marriage necessarily, but it represents that moment when you are interested in someone else where there's respect and interest and excitement. A connection. Yeah. Seeing something in the other. Right. Seeing yourself in the other. Um, yeah. Right. Right. And also I, I associate it with in psychology, there's something called affect theory. And 
one of the positive affects is the affect of interest excitement. So it's not the same thing as full-fledged joy or happiness, but it's that moment of curiosity and anticipation and being really, you know, drawn in that creates the sense of flow. So the creative flow. And that makes me think of the world of Bria that causes things to be attracted to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. So that's what I see in this card and I how I often see it playing out for other people. Even the hills in the background have that undulating S-curve shape to them. Yeah, they sure do. Yeah, I'm trying to see if it picks up any of the imagery from the majors. I mean, it has the same sort of symmetry as the chariot, the same sort mm -hmm. of symmetry to the y-axis. And you could say that the caduceus is reminiscent of the mirror of Venus in a way. Yeah, and of the uh, kundalini, the twin channels. Yeah. Twin serpents. Right. Uh, and in fact, there's a reference on the chariot, you know, on the shield on the front. I think that's supposed to be a lingam and yoni. Yeah. So that's more related to this card than the three or four of cups. Okay, so shall we move on to Thoth? Sure. Okay, Oh, so are these supposed to be fish or dolphins or what? Well, the original description says that they're dolphins and they're colored in argent and ore, silver and gold. Silver and gold. Uh, her heraldic terms for silver and gold. But they really don't look like dolphins. And I don't know if that's <laughs> intentional, you know, that she wanted them to be fish instead, which I could see as also being appropriate or if she just didn't have access to what a dolphin really looked like. Yeah. Well, I mean, even in the Marseille decks, you know, I think there's a grand old tradition of dolphins not looking very much like dolphins. <laughs> but, but the concept of the dolphins is important. And I, that's why I got out that penguin dictionary of symbols because I just really wanted ah. to look up dolphins this morning. So, cool. um, so the, there is, he talks about Crowley, sorry. Crowley talks about the dolphin of alchemy, right? So I was, hunting down, you know, any references I could find to um, dolphins and alchemy. There aren't really a lot, but um, actually Snuffin had something to say in the Thoth Companion about that. He said that the uh, candidates for a certain golden dawn ritual called the ritual of the portal. So we have again, portal symbolism, mm -hmm. Empress Gate. Mm -hmm. um, the ritual of the portal had uh, a woman riding a dolphin on the right, a queen crowned with a lunar crescent riding a dolphin. And then on the left side, there were, was a king with a solar symbol on the right. And um, it's about the polarized male and female forces, which sounds... That sounds good. Perfectly appropriate. Yeah. I found somewhere a reference to the dolphin as the quote-unquote sulfur of the wise, the principle of fixity, which appears on the surface of its mother, the mercurial sea. So again, those three elements um, surfacing again. Mercurial sea. Yeah, that's weird, right? Well, the universal, there's, there's something called the vision of the universal mercury. And in that vision, there's a traditional mercurial figure with the uh, winged helmet and winged sandals, but he's descending upon the sea oh, in, that, okay. in that vision, which makes me think of Mercury's path. Mm -hmm. from Keter to Binah, the great dark sea. Right, right. 
There's also the idea of, in the Penguin Dictionary of Symbols, which, guys, is great. You might want to have a copy. I found a reference to dolphins as both representative of water and of metamorphosis itself. Because, for example, there's the dolphin myth of Dionysus, where he is captured by pirates, and he is going to be sold into slavery and... But when he reveals his true nature in the in the boat, the sailors go mad. Ivy grows over the boat and uh, the sailors turn into dolphins. And that is where the myth of the dolphin as the friendly help of sailors uh, comes from. They're, they're sailors, they're pirates, reformed pirates seeking redemption. Uh, there's also the idea that the dolphin is a Christ-like figure. That's, that's something that we've seen a lot. I think, you know, I think the dolphin is whenever you have concepts of water and of sacrificial love, and that leads back to what we were saying about, about the, hanged the hanged man. man. Right. You, this is the animal that represents that. The dolphin's also associated with Aphrodite. Yes. Because of association with the Greek Greek word sounding very similar, um, Delphus, depending on how you spell it, either way it sounds like Delphus, and it can mean either dolphin or the lap or the womb, which is Aphrodite Neat. and the Empress. The, the crown prince of the French is also called the dolphin, the dauphin. And I think there's an idea that this is a creature who carries the line from one place to the next. So I've seen the dolphin referenced as a carrier of the soul between realms, sort of like Mercury. That makes sense. Yeah, sort of psychopomp. I think I read somewhere too about dolphins that if they're, you know, both facing the same direction as in, you know, both upright, that it's a symbol of equilibrium, whereas if they're turned one up, one down, like Pisces. It's, yeah, like it's, Pisces. It's something else. <laughs> Neat. I think that uh, medievally that sometimes dolphin and fish are just confused all the time. You know, I mean, like probably because they, not that many people had access to seeing what a dolphin might look like. But a dolphin was considered a fish. I, I sort of feel a like- mammal? What we're saying- A mammal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, in the ancient bestiary, even a whale was considered- a fish, you know, there are any, it lives in the sea. It's a fish. <laughs> they didn't really care about mammary glands. <laughs> the color of them too, interestingly enough, is gray. They're, they're grayish colored yes. animal. And that's the color of this card. Yes. Of, you mean the two of Hawkma yes, yes. in Ria. The two in, yeah. in the cup suit is gray. Oh, that's nice. I didn't think of that. Yes. And I think Crowley makes a point of the, um, the streams of water descend from a single lotus. That's mm -hmm. important. And that single lotus, you'll know, is rising up from a second lotus. They're connected by that uh, stem. Yes. And it's up above the horizon, above the waters. Mm -hmm. The colors in the Thoth card strike me as very Venusian. Very much so. Pinks and greens. Mm -hmm. If you look at it next to the Empress card, there's a good match there. Just like in the wand suit where... The flames of fire often have messages in the cup suit. Often it's either the appearance of the lotuses in their, their state or the streams of water and how many of them and what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, you see here from the uppermost 
lotus, there are two streams, and then it divides into three streams, and then down below into five streams. Oh. And it's almost, it reminds me of the path, the five of Givora and the three of Bina, you know, the being the path of the chariot. Why not? That makes if, sense. If you combine those, I, you know, this is all just free-form association. <laughs> but if you combine, you know, the two fives, you get ten Malkut the daughter, mm -hmm. and if you combine the two threes, you get a six for the son, Tiferet. So either way, there's like a child issuing from the combination of these two oh, nice. uh, when you right. unite them. I think in the Thoth card, you also see much more of a reference than elsewhere to the watery provenance of Venus. You know, as the myth goes, she arose from the sea, from the testicles of Uranus, uh, Uranus, um, and she is, in a sense, a goddess of the sea, yeah, of the generative from the sea. foam. Yes, 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 exactly. And these dolphins or fish aren't silver and gold, mm -hmm. but I did read that the eyes are supposed to be in one is supposed to be in a lunar color and one in a solar color. It's not really obvious unless you can look really close. I'm not sure I see it, but it does look like the one on the right is more bluish, and the one on the left is not. Oh, yes. There definitely seems to be a difference between the two. The The left one seems warmer and the right one seems cooler somehow. So maybe that's the argent or the silver and gold, yeah. of, you know, lunar and um, solar forces entwined. That's really nice. Yeah. The other thing you'll know about the just the water is the cups in this card and I think in the next one, they're overflowing. Right. They're, so it's a, it's a sense of, you know fertility, you know, in flow. Yes. It reminds me of the way that when a woman is fertile, the fibers of the fluid are receptive and aligned rather than, you know, crossed. I wonder if there's any sort of chariot references in the Thoth Two of Cups. Not unless you think of those as dolphins and the, the dolphins as pulling the chariot of Poseidon. Yeah, that's an interesting way to look at it. Why not? And the symbols, there, there, there is the symbol for Venus and Cancer, like, are on all the Thoth cards, but they're, usually there's one on top of the card and one near the bottom of the card, or maybe they're off balance in a more disruptive card, but here they're side by side, mm -hmm. which seems very appropriate. I often think that the crossed legs of the charioteer are reminiscent of the intertwined tails mm -hmm. because it's not how you expect an armored person to sit. <laughs> That's for sure. And there's something about the way, you know, the, the resilience or bendability of the armor that doesn't quite belong and makes me think of uh, the intertwining of the tails of the fish. And we'll also note that in the Thoth card, the water is pretty calm. Yes, it is. Which I think is another way that the thought deck expresses something is through the, in the cup suit, is through the state of the water and the state of the sky right. in the card. Absolutely. If you look at the seven or eight of cups, you do not want to go in there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it is, not safe. It's either toxic or it's, you know, there's something hiding in there. Okay. So let's look at your card. Okay. So we have where to start? The, <laughs> The two hippocampi are directly from the chariot card because in 
my chariot card, it's being pulled by what looks like two horses, but you can't see their, their lower half. Their lower half is the body of a dolphin. Uh, Hippocampa has a horse on top and a dolphin at the bottom. And, um, the word comes from a word that means horse monster. And they were said to draw Poseidon's chariot. Then there's also the reference to Hippocampi of the brain. It's the two halves of the brain, this section of the brain that has to do with memory and navigation, both of which to me seem like a cancer thing. So the navigation kind of bringing in the chariot and its motion and... And the moon governs memory. Yeah, memory. I think when I think of the sign cancer, I think of history there there's usually a sense of loving history and antiques and and family and all these things associated with memories right right that's nice and it, the hippocampus is i think a seahorse shaped yeah. organ is yeah, the idea yeah i think that's yeah. how it got its name yeah that is really cool so then we have um from the uh empress card we have the the bees which can bring in this idea of creativity, fertility, sweetness, the bees as they gather their honey. And there's a bit of a hint of uh, the honeymoon, the, um, the phase in, well, it's the phase of in a relationship where you've just recently been married and it's a very romantic phase, but it's called the honeymoon because it had the uh, connotation in old times, a traditional gift for newlyweds was a month's worth of mead in nice. order <laughs> in order to, you know, kind Relax of um, <laughs> make things flow and fertility to occur. And right. <laughs> so there's a bit of that paving the way for a pregnancy to right. happen. Right. Oh, that's um, interesting. Then there's also from both the Empress card and the Chariot card, there's both phases of the moon. So between the two horses, you see the full phase, and then you see the dark phase of the moon beneath. So again, that's just a a way of expressing a polarity, the light and the dark. And the horses themselves, they they twine together in that, that S-curve shape, and you'll see that one horse is a white horse with a black mane and um, fins and hooves, and the black horse has a white mane and white hooves and white fins. It's sort of like a reference to the yin and the yang and the yang in the yin, and if you look at that particular symbol, it's also an S-curve. Right. It's the interconnectedness of the right, two the opposite exchange, principles. Yeah, the, ex- mm-hmm. the connection and the exchange and, and how they relate to each other. There's some equilibrium in their relationship where they mm-hmm. balance each other somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the just the colors in the card. Um, well, the, there's wheat. There are wheat shafts for from the Empress card, and mm-hmm. they'll note there are six of them, which is again a child reference um nice and the just the colors in the background i really wanted to get some of the colors of the color scale i guess we can talk about that now so the the queen scale for hokma is gray and we talked about that so you do see the the kind of gray in the dolphins well one is white and one is black they're both sort of more merging towards gray and Gray is an interesting color because it's in between white and black. So it's it's the phase in between the white of Keter and the black of Binah. 
Hokma Gray. It, it's the combination of these two polarities. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And the other colors of the suit of the card would be the colors for the chariot, which are all the colors that you would expect to find on a live crab shell. So amber, maroon, russet, and uh, dark greenish brown. Mm-hmm. And you do see um, these colors in the card mostly combined with the colors for from the empress, which are emerald greens and sky blues, pale greens, and then there's a rose rayed pale green. And in order to get that rose rayed pale green, I have that really pretty rosy sky of a sunrise beautiful reflecting off the green of the water so there's these interplay of greens and blues and rose all in the same area and that rose color always has something to do with heart energy um, of venus and sometimes of the child in tiferet as well is is that rosy color so it's really a color of love yeah yeah for sure for sure. I also love the way that you spiraled together in the ripples underneath the cups, the sky blue and the emerald green, because it's, it's interesting. They're, they're kind of similar in saturation. So when you look at it, there's almost emotion to it, you know, as your eye tries to separate, at least for me. And I promise I'm not on anything. (laughs) (laughs) What about the cups? Cause they, are they the same cups that you have on the three of cups? Same type of? No, they're not exactly. Mm -hmm. Not sure what to say about them. They're mm-hmm. they're golden in color, which is again is probably a um, hint of the Tiferet, the sun, the child of the union of the the two. So, for those who are following along with their Tabula Mundi decks, you can see the elements from the Empress in the bees and the wheat and uh, and the colors, and you can see the elements of from the chariot in the Hippocampi and, and the lunar. Mm-hmm. And the lunar, which are right. both because in the um, Empress card, there are the, the two lunar crescents on, on the card, as well as the chariot card, the lunar emblems on the shoulder right. pieces, right. which again are the two phases the of the moon. Remind me about the double moon on the Empress. Why two? For waxing and waning? Yeah, I think it's mm-hmm. two phases. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we have two on the Thoth card, so that's kind of a tradition. Yeah. 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 Two moons on the Rider Waite Smith chariot epaulettes and two moons on the Thoth Empress. Okay. How about practical applications? Well, I've more than once had this card, and I think I mentioned this in the Ace episode, but I've more than once had this card come up as predicting a pregnancy before the person was actually pregnant. Right. Because if you think about it, the actual pregnancy phase is probably more the three, which we'll cover when we get into that episode. But I've never actually had the three come up so much for that. But I've had this one come up before it happened. And sure enough, a few months (laughs) later, the person indeed did conceive. And it's happened more than once with this card. That's interesting. It does, you know, you mentioned Austin's book calling this the mother and child. It really does, I think, predict a future pregnancy if that's appropriate for the situation you're reading. I've not had that occur in my readings. For me, it's just uh, usually just 
for other people anyway, represents that first moment when people are starting to get get to know each other. Yeah, uh, it's intimacy. There's a sense of intimacy, but also um, strangeness. Yeah, you know, and I, I sort of believe that, you know, in long term relationships, it's good to have a little bit of that sense of distance, that strangeness, that respect for the fact that you cannot know the person in their entirety, that helps keep the attraction alive, the polarity. Yeah, right. They have to keep on being the other. Yes, in order to have that fascination. Right, right, exactly. The gaze needs to be perpetuated. (laughs) For myself, you know, it's very funny. I mean, I've had some really lovely days with this card, just, you know, um, do getting to do whatever I wanted, going for walks. Um, but what was kind of funny is that I found that I was getting it a lot whenever I would hang out with women who were cancers. So I have a friend named Pat who visits me from time to time and who I get to see. She's an old friend. She's a cancer. So I got it when she was around. I got it. My friend Ivy, who is also a cancer, would hang around with her or sing or just eat or, you know, she loves to cook. So that was another thing, another person I would get it for. And for Zoe, who is a Cancer. So all of these women friends who are Cancers, they just show up with this card all the time. It makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even though you would sort of think of that being more of a Three of Cups thing, it's more because Or even it's like, a Four of Cups being the yeah. moon in Cancer and so very... But this card, it's the, the cardinal card of the cardinal sign. Right. It's the first of the, the three decans, so it's the cardinal decan of cardinal water sign. So maybe it's the really ultimate I think expression so. of cancer. I think so. And I think it has to be, there's a real emphasis on one-to-one relationships, you know? Yeah. Yeah. People. Yeah. Other people. People. Not necessarily groups, but And like good relationships. Yeah. Positive relationships. For sure. Something, uh, something that you look forward. Yeah. I had a couple days where, you know, for example, okay, so on uh, December 20th of 2016, Oh, it was such a great day. Your Babylon deck arrived. So I got that. I got uh, store credit from the place where I read. So I immediately bought myself the animal totem tarot. <laughs> it was like a holiday credit. I did a lot of readings. And also I made gifts for you and for another friend. And, you know, so it was just this yeah, constant a, sort of... That's a loving yeah. thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Both for yourself and for others. Yeah. Really pleasant. Not not that many days are that lovely. I also got this very recently. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember what I got it with. Randy and I were both really sick. So we had a date lying in bed watching TV for like hours. I thought that's a very peculiar expression of the two of cups, but the feeling is there. <laughs> it's a loving thing to do. Yes, it is. It is. You do what you can. Okay. So uh, I think I think we got it. I think that was everything we have to say about the two of cups. Uh, we talked about love in all its forms, the presence of Aphrodite or Venus, the marriage of the Lord and the lady, the idea of a gate to the enclosed container, We talked about uh, the mutuality of relationships and love under will. We talked about S-curves. Oh, yeah. We talked about dolphins and red lions and fish. Mothers and children. And crabs. (laughs) And the hanged man. And the hanged man. And the theory of, is there a connection between the elemental majors and the entire suit that they correspond to? And we concluded the answer is a decisive yes. Uh, Oh, we talked about the other and the gaze. 
the need to perceive someone who is not yourself. Yeah, the Naples arrangement, the point distinguished by one other point. The mirror of Venus, which reflects the other. The alchemical marriage of fire and water. Okay, so uh, I hope that that's been helpful for all of you who are trying to get beyond uh, does he like me with this card. <laughs> and uh, we hope that you will join us next week for the Three of Cups. And that's our show for today. You can find us, as always, at our online home, www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse. But there are also a number of other places you can find me and Mel on the internet. All of Mel's books and decks can be found at www.tarotcart.com. So that's your first stop if you want to find anything related to the Rosetta Tarot or the Tabula Mundi Tarot. She's also just started selling signed and matted prints of the Tabula Mundi cards there. So now you can fill all your sacred spaces with beautiful tarot art. As for me, my forthcoming book, Tarot Correspondences, Ancient Secrets for Everyday Readers, is available for pre-order online at Amazon, Book Depository, and more. Just search for Tarot Correspondences, T. Susan Chang, something like that. I also have a shop on Etsy, where I sell the one and only trademarked Arcana case in lavish silks, brocades, and esoteric prints. I also have my Zodiac perfumes there, so you can pick up a bottle of The Mystic Sea for your favorite Pisces, or the cool yet electric Aquarius perfume, which I call Streams of Stars. All of that is at www.etsy.com slash shop slash tarotista. And if you'd like a Fortune's Wheelhouse t-shirt or tote bag or mug, we have those too. They are at our Red Bubble shop, redbubble.com slash people slash wheelhouse 93 slash shop. And for those of you who have been our listeners for a while, thank you. You are the reason we do this. If you're loving Fortune's Wheelhouse and the fantastically geeky world of tarot we bring you each week, would you do something for us in return? Leave us a rating or review on iTunes. It's especially easy if you have an iPad or iPhone. Just search for Fortune's Wheelhouse in the podcast app. And when you see us, tap on our groovy purple album art with the Wheel of Fortune on it. It'll take you right to a page where you'll see a reviews tab. And there you can drop us some stars or leave us a sentence or two, whatever you feel inspired to do. And if you just want to talk tarot, well... You can find me, Susie, on practically every Facebook tarot group there is under the name T. Susan Chang. Thanks for listening. We always love hearing from all you heroes of the astral plane, and we so appreciate your support.